Uh, every new beginning comes from some other new beginning's end. And it's very fitting at a time such as this, as the calendar rolls over from 2018 to 2019. It's an opportunity for us to look back, to remember the year that was 2018. One of the popular ways that people do this, if you've opened a magazine or looked at the news or on any of the TV channels lately, you know that top 10 lists are a really popular way in which people kind of look back upon the year that was. And uh, if you go to a news channel, there's undoubtedly going to be the, the top newsmakers, the top news stories of 2018. Uh, entertainment magazines and TV stations have the top songs, the top movies of 2018. Sports channels, my personal favorite, the top plays and especially the top misplays of the professionals from 2018. So I thought it might be interesting. I sat back for a few moments this past week and I thought, what are the top things that people come talk to me about in 2018? Uh, and, I, and what I mean by that is, is the things that they want to celebrate with me, not the other things. We'll save that for another sermon some other day. But the top 10 things that people come to me to, to celebrate through 2018. And I thought I'd share some of them with you to help you think back about the year that was for West Meadows last year. And these are in no particular order necessarily, just sort of as they, as they came to mind for me. Uh, but one of the biggest things that happened for us last year is we, we paid off the mortgage. And that was an exciting thing that happened last year. Yes, that's worth, <laughs> worth celebrating and continuing to celebrate. We paid off the mortgage. Uh, maybe less exciting for you, but very exciting for myself and for the board, is we completed our board policy manual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a policy lover, you'll, you'll appreciate that. If not, you're wondering why we're excited. Uh, we, had, uh, we had wonderful community events, including Merry Matinee and Extravaganza, where we engaged with hundreds of people from the community around us who had never been in contact with us. Yes, absolutely, that's what we're celebrating. Uh, even up until recently, just a couple days ago, people are still just really excited about our screen and projector <laughs> that, that we were able to upgrade and install this past year. Uh, did you know that in 2018, we had over 10,000 community people come through our building through events that we held or through community events that we rented the facility to? Over 10,000 community people came through this building. We had a chance to interact with them. We had people who, who came in new professions of faith, who, who were baptized in 2018, and we celebrate, continue to celebrate with those people. We've reached a point where over a third, we're getting closer to almost half of the congregation has been involved to some level in a life group or a mid-sized group in 2018. So that means that their experience of church goes beyond just Sunday morning into the greater community. That's a milestone we achieved in 2018. We approved our renovations. That went through, and as Luke announced um, before Christmas, we had to make the initial application for a development permit, and the city got back to us and said, no, actually, we're going to adjust and just honor the existing one, and so we flipped our development permit into a building permit, which is the last thing we're, we're, we are waiting for before we actually start doing the renovations itself, and we just found out that the city took that development permit, looked at it as a building permit, and says, yeah, that works for that too, and so now we actually have our building permit as well, <laughs> so... We're at a point where we're able to start going forward here in 2019 and start actually physically adjusting the building. All the pieces we needed for this renovation are in place. That's an exciting milestone for us to reach as well. And then finally, and you might not be excited about this one yet, but I'm hoping you will be, is after a lot of work that was done, we have finally reached a point where we have reaffirmed and made some changes to West Meadows' mission, vision, and value statements. Now, that's an important one, and that's a very exciting one, actually, because it's, it's also one that helps us to look back on 2018 uh, based upon the work that was done in the previous months, but it's also one that helps us to look forward. 
to look forward to what 2019 holds in store for us. Now, this mission, vision, and values, this came about through the next team who you know has been working really hard over the last 18 months. They have been doing research into the history of the church. They've been looking into the history of the community and some of the city trends that are happening around us and within our community. They interviewed people from the community. They interviewed people from within the church. We held town hall meetings. We, we spent much time in prayer and discussion as we engaged within the church and outside the church. And over that 18-month process, excuse me, <clears throat> over that 18-month process, we've been working to answer the question and discern the answer to, to things like, what has God been up to in the past? What, what has he been preparing us and leading us towards? And the most important question is, how can we kind of merge with him on what he's already been doing and preparing us to do with him? And the end result of all that work and all those questions that the elders board affirmed just before Christmas, the new mission, vision, and value statement. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to dive into those. We're going to share them with you. We're going to process them. We're going to talk about them and, and get you to interact with them in particular, not just, but in particular through our Sunday morning services. And before we get there, here's what I'm hoping will happen. I'm hoping that as we go through this process, number one, it's going to feel familiar. And it should feel familiar because a lot of the work and conclusions we came from emerge from our discussions with you folks and, and, and the things that God has been saying to you and doing through you in the past months and years. I also hope it will feel fresh because we've tried to really bring it into where we currently are as opposed to perhaps a, a vision and a mission that existed decades ago. So it should feel fresh. I also hope you'll find that it feels forward-looking. Because we are trying to move forward into a new reality, into a new season, and a new, uh, a new time for the church here at West Meadows. So as we get into that, it will be an exciting year. But before we do that, we have to lay a foundation. We need to lay a foundation that primarily answers the question, what is our ultimate purpose? What is our ultimate goal here as a church? Now, if you have ever been in a situation where you're working in sort of a group environment, sort of a, a team environment, you know the importance of making sure that everybody is on the same page before you start venturing into a project. We see this in sports in particular. Uh, think of football, for example. You can have 12 guys on the football field. All of them have a role to play. They all need to understand the bigger picture, though, so they can all do their part if they're going to have success and not just executing that play, but scoring points and hopefully winning the game. If all 12 people are doing random things, they're not going to have any success. They all need to be on the same page. The same holds true in, in multiple sports. Probably one of the best examples I've seen this be a requirement is in uh, the Olympics, in particular in doubles kayaking. Have you ever seen this? Long, narrow boat, two people. One in the front, one in the back. Those guys need to be on the same page or they will have very different results. For example, if both of them are facing different directions and paddling forward based upon their orientation, they're going to be resisting each other and basically go nowhere. If we can get those two guys facing the right direction but one's paddling forward, one's paddling backwards, what happens? They just spin in a circle. And they feel like they're going somewhere but they're actually going nowhere. They're just going in a circle. But if we can get both those guys pointing in the same direction, paddling in the same direction, now we can accomplish something. In that moment, we have the ability to accomplish something. And when the time comes that the race marshal steps forward and says to all of the racers, get ready, which is a warning that the command to start racing is about to occur. And then he says, set, 
which means it's time for final preparations. There's no more looking backwards. All energy and all focus is focused forwards. And the moment comes when he says, go. And that is the time to start racing. It's a time to put into practice all the common strategy, all the common ideas, all the common focus upon the finish line to have that in mind. And that is the task that is before us this season is to have us all facing in the same direction, paddling in the same direction so that we are ready, so that we are ready to advance God's kingdom mission for us here at West Meadows, so that we are set to have our minds fixed upon the things of God that he has in store ahead of us, and so that we are ready to go. And when we go, we go proclaiming the kingdom of heaven because that is available to all people, not just to those of us who are here. So I begin this year by asking you the question, are you ready? I don't think we're ready. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to do it one more time because the answer is yes. Because <laughs> if we're not, that's exactly why we're starting where we're starting. Are you ready for the kingdom? Yes. Because if we're going to get this car in gear, and if we are going to get going in the right direction, we have to agree upon where we're heading. And to answer that critical question, I think we can understand our destination by looking at one of Jesus' own moments of ready, set, go. And we find this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your phones, iPads, whatever it may be, open, your, open up to Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. If you haven't got one, the Pew Bible in front of you has it, page 812. And as you're flipping there, this will be the main area that we look at today. We're going to jump to some other areas, but this is the main area we're going to focus upon today. And as you open that up, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And if you're to continue reading the next couple of verses, it talks about how the arrival of the Messiah was foretold by prophets from, from centuries before. That one day this, this Messiah would arrive. One day this, this man who would come, who would release people, who would free people from the consequences of their sins. Whether that be, be, uh, be personal consequences, relational, social, guilt, shame, spiritual consequences. That he would free them from all of that. And in preparation of this, there would be a forerunner. There would be one who would come first, who would announce the imminent arrival of the Messiah who was coming. Now this was a common practice in this time. In, in the ancient Near East in particular, before a royal dignitary, or before a king arrived in a region, they would send a forerunner to help people get ready. They would show up in a town and say, folks, a week from now the king is going to be here, so sweep your streets, pick up your garbage, get rid of all the crime, comb your hair, put on your best clothes, get ready because the king is coming. This still even happens in, in our world today. Back in the mid-90s when I lived in Prince George, they, uh, they had built a brand new university up, up on one of the hills. Uh, called the University of Northern British Columbia. And the opening of that university was privileged to have Queen Elizabeth come, actually. She's in the area. And she agreed to come by and open the university. And so preparations were being made for the Queen's arrival at this location. Now, they built the university up on a hill, and there's a whole road they had to build and dig into the hill to get up there, which was a bit of a, bit of a mess. But as they built the road, and they had these slopes they planted grass on. Now, when the queen arrived, the grass hadn't quite grown all in yet and greened. But they had to get ready for the queen's arrival. So what they did is the day before she arrived, the city sent out city workers with green spray paint. And they spray painted the hill and all the grass so that as the queen drove by, it was green. Why? 
because they had to get ready. They had to get ready for her arrival. And we see this in Mark chapter 1. If you look down to verse uh, 4, from verse 4 through 8, we see that John the Baptist arrives on the scene. And he is there to prepare the people, to call the people to prepare, to make ready their hearts for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And it says John came preaching, he came baptizing people with a baptism of preparation. And then in verse 7, it says this was his message. He says, I baptize you uh, with water, but there's one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he is so much greater than I. He is so great. You, you, think, you think my message, you think my baptism is awesome. Just wait till the one that is coming. When he comes, he is so incredible that I'm not even fit to be a servant to stoop down and tie his shoelaces. He will come and baptize you with a greater power than what I'm talking about. I'm just preparing the way for him. Get ready because he's coming. And then we see in verse 9 through 13, that Jesus arrives on the scene and, and he's baptized and he gets set. Jesus gets himself set for the public ministry that he's about to enter into. And he is baptized by John. And as he comes up out of the water in verse 7, it says that as he, or in verse 11, as he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then the Spirit immediately sent him out for the final step of preparation to get himself set for ministry as he went into the wilderness where he was tempted and the angels attended to him. The people were getting ready. Jesus was getting set for ministry. And then the time comes to go. And verse 14, Jesus steps onto the scene. In verse 14 and 15, he begins his public ministry. And the very first words that Jesus speaks can be looked at as basically a summary of his entire mission. And he says this in verse 14, that after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What was he proclaiming? This was his message. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God to all people. And as we will see today and in the next couple of weeks, we need to be ready to do the same. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God to all people. And as we're going to see, we need to be ready to do the same. Because as we do talk about what is our mission, what is our vision, what is our values, as we talk about our church, I need you to understand before we even get to that, that that is not our end goal. Our end goal is not to build and belong to a church. That's an important task, but that's not our end goal. That church is the means by which we go to achieve our ultimate goal, which is to build, promote, and exclaim the kingdom of God. Not our local kingdom. That is our goal. So if we are to be about promoting and building the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God? Well, if I were to ask you, I think there's a variety of things that you may say. Some people may say, well, I think the kingdom of God, it's a place. It's, it's heaven, right? Okay. Some other people might say, well, it's a, it's a state of being. It's kind of a way of life. It's a way of having a world view. All right. Others might say, well, it's a little more, more ethereal than that. It's, it's kind of a spiritual reality that exists. I'd say, you know, to some degree, those all have elements of truth to them. And the kingdom of God is a really broad concept. Did you know that the kingdom of God comes up? It's talked about 68 times in 10 books within the New Testament. And then if we add to that the synonymous term kingdom of heaven that Matthew uses 32 times himself, that means that basically half of our New Testament talks about the kingdom of God a hundred times. So there's a lot that can be said about what the kingdom of God is. 
But the kingdom of God, in the most broadest sense, is this. First of all, we look at the word kingdom. And the word kingdom comes from this Greek word that says basilia. Now, it's Greek, but it sounds Italian. You can say it with me. you got to use your hand, though. Basilia, right? You can use your hand. Basilia, right? And what that means, it doesn't actually refer to a literal physical kingdom that we would think when we hear the word kingdom. What it actually refers to is one's right and authority to rule. That one who has royal power, one who has dominion over an area. Another way to understand this is that it refers to, to the range of a person's effective will. Now, that's what we mean when we talk about a kingdom in this, in this sense. We could say that a person who has effective will, for example, a parent has effective will within a home, and so that home is their kingdom. A manager has effective will over employees, and so they, they have a kingdom, if you will, within their office place. Now, there's good and bad parents, there, there's good and bad managers, but they have that positional authority that, to rule and to have dominion within that kingdom. Now, when we apply this principle, we also can see it existing within the creation account where humanity is created in the image of God. And in, verse, in Genesis 1.26, it says we're created in the image of God so that we may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over the wild animals. And so in that verse, we see this, this example of where God's effective will extends to his creation where he gives to us effective will over creation, responsible and accountable to him, because he has not abdicated that, he has simply invited us into that to have effective will within his realm. So when we apply this principle to God, we can see that in the broadest sense, the kingdom of God refers to God's eternal sovereign dominion, God's eternal sovereign kingship over all of the universe. That means that God rules and reigns where everything that you see with your eyes right now to if you're watching any of the news from NASA this week out to, to Ultima Thule, which is one billion miles past Pluto that they've discovered. And beyond that, everything in that range is within God's dominion, within God's rule. But here's the thing, that while God has authority to rule over all of that, that is not the only kingdom that currently exists. Because from the time of the fall, from the time when sin entered into human existence, God has permitted other kingdoms to continue to rule as well. And we know this to be true. If you simply look at the events of history, if you turn on the 11 o'clock news at night, if you look at the events that happen in your own life, you see evidence that other kingdoms tend to have the ability to continue ruling, even in this day. And they tend to fall into the areas of, of social and political realms where God's effective will does not always reign, they also fall into the area of the human heart, where God does not always reign either. This helps us to understand what Jesus was talking about when he taught his disciples to pray. When he taught them the Lord's Prayer, if you remember that, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means, I mean, holy and honored is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, in heaven, God's effective will is simply done. His effective will has no limits. His will is just executed as he, as he wishes in the realm of heaven. But in earth, he permits his effective will to be absent in some areas. That's not his desire. It's not his long-term plan. But it is the reality in which we exist, which is why it says in this prayer, 
that we are to pray for, and we are to actively promote that the areas in the world that we encounter where his effective will is not reigning, we are to pray for and actively promote that that would reign in those areas, that we would bring the good news to those areas, that his effective will could reign in those places. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, is that the day is coming when God will establish a literal, physical kingdom on earth. That day will come. It is not today, but that day will come when all other kingdoms are defeated, when all other kingdoms have failed and are gone. And at that moment, God establishes his kingdom. There is a new heaven and a new earth that we read about in Revelation chapter 21, where all other kingdoms are destroyed, but God's kingdom will never be destroyed, and it will never end. And in that moment, God's dwelling will be among his people. And from that point on, because all other kingdoms have been vanquished, all of the kingdoms have ceased to have authority, all of the kingdoms will no longer be permitted to exist, at that point there will be no sin, there will be no evil, there will be no sickness, there will be no tears, and there will be no death. That day is coming. That kingdom is coming. And at the time of Jesus, many people believed that was what he came to establish. When Jesus stepped onto the scene saying the kingdom of God has come near, they thought that was the kingdom he was talking about. This this political, social, physical, even military kingdom. That's what they expected. But it wasn't exactly what he was talking about. You see, instead he was inviting people to participate in a much more immediate experience of the kingdom of God. So if we go back to, to Mark chapter 1 verse 15, where it says the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. He's conveying this idea something new is happening. Something that didn't exist before. Now, as we just explained, God's kingdom is eternal. It's always existed and always will. And so it wasn't that Jesus was bringing the kingdom or, or the kingdom was coming into existence all of a sudden in this moment. See, remember, in the broad definition of the kingdom of God, it can give this idea of a kind of a transcendent, distant, aloof divine ruler who has sovereignty and power over all, but that's so separate from you and me. But when Jesus steps onto the scene, he's saying that while God's rule exists eternally at that level, in Jesus Christ, it is now becoming personal. In Jesus, this incredible rule and reign is now coming down to come near to you personally and individually. Wasn't that it was being spoken into existence for the first time. It already existed. But rather, humanity now has new access to the kingdom of God. Access to the kingdom that did not exist before. That they can now experience kingdom life like never before through Jesus Christ. And if you read the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the rest of the stories about who Jesus was and what he accomplished, you can see that all of his teaching, all of his miracles, all the events that happened in him point towards this revelation, this revealing the kingdom of God and pointing people towards how they can enter into it, what kingdom life looks like, what the mission of the kingdom is. It points towards that main goal. Because he came to show us what kingdom life looks like and to teach us that that is the life that we were made for. And the only requirement, the only requirement for entrance into this kingdom is to repent and believe the good news. Now this is a pivotal phrase. This phrase is a moment of where decision comes for all people. Now this idea of to repent, that means to acknowledge and to believe that the life in the kingdom we currently live in, apart from God, is inferior. And is not working as well as the kingdom that God is inviting us to. Now, if we live apart from God's kingdom, sure, there are moments where there are highlights in our lives. 
we can feel this incredible sense of freedom. We, we can do whatever we want, and there's these moments of fun. But we also know that's not the whole story. We know that's the side, the story that gets presented publicly. That's the side that people put up on their social media. But we know if we've lived in that other kingdom for a period of time, we know that those joys, those highlights are fleeting. And they never satisfy a certain part of us that continues to yearn for something else, for something more. And that's because the kingdom of this world is making promises it can't keep. It's writing checks that it can't cash. And you know, sometimes when I think about what repentance looks like and means and, and the battle for, for these two kingdoms for our hearts, um, an analogy comes to mind that you might think is kind of humorous, but stick with me for a minute. Sometimes my mind goes to that classic Disney movie, Pinocchio. Remember Pinocchio? Stick with me on this one. <laughs> Remember, he's a, a wooden boy who just wants to be a real boy, and he lies, his nose grows, things like that. But if you're familiar with the story, classic Disney story, there's a point where he's walking to school one day, and this man comes along and says, hey, you don't want to go to school. You want to come to Pleasure Island with me. And so Pinocchio and his, goes off to this place where he ends up in this great island called Pleasure Island. And as he's at Pleasure Island, he's in this place where, where everything you could ever want is available. Even some of the bad stuff that maybe a little boy shouldn't be involved in. You know, all the food you could ever want. All the alcohol, all the tobacco, all the games, all the fun is freely available to all. And there's no parents, and there's no cops, and there's no one and nothing to stop them from having whatever they want. There's just one problem. The longer they're there, the more they indulge, the more they turn into donkeys. Or whatever synonym for donkeys you would rather use. So this is the process that they're engaged in. Until a good friend, Jiminy Cricket, comes along and warns them and points out what's happening to them in the kingdom and in the direction that they're heading down. And their eyes are open to the truth of what's happening to them. And they know the only way to escape is to flee, to turn and to go the other way and to flee the island that exists. To flee that kingdom, to go back to where they were, to what they were called and created to be for. You see, repentance requires us to be honest about our current state. It requires us to be honest about where we currently are spiritually and personally and morally and to desire more for ourselves. But then not just to, to be honest with that, but then to believe that Jesus offers something that is far better in this life and in the life that is to come. And once we acknowledge our current state, realize there's a better option, we then turn and start walking with him according to his will and his ways and his power that can be at work within you. You see, the decision for or against the rule of God, the decision for or against the kingdom of God hinges, it hangs on a decision for or against Jesus. But it's not an easy decision by any means. It's a decision that many people will have offered to them, will be invited to make. They will encounter Jesus. They will hear of the good news. They will hear of his love and his sacrifice for them, but they will still reject it. Jesus knew this. He's, he said this himself in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 19, where he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world, and he has revealed that the kingdom is available to all people. He's made that invitation. But some people rejected it. Why? Because they loved the darkness instead of the light. And they did that because their deeds were evil. Uh, Dallas Willard relates this principle to a part in his own life. When he was growing up in southern Missouri, 
He talks about how he lived in, in this part of southern Missouri that was like way out in the sticks. So far in the sticks, they had to import their sticks to be in the sticks. They're in the, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And they had no electricity for most of his entire life up until he was in a, a senior in high school. At that point, the Rural Electric Administration Company came by and started installing power lines out to where they were. And for the first time in his life, electricity was available to every farm and to every household in that region. And when those lines came in, they brought with them a very different way of living. For all those people who, who received the invitation to hook up, their lives changed overnight. If you think about when you go, maybe you've experienced this yourself personally in some regard, where, where you live in a place that has no services, no electricity, your definition of day and night, of hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, completely changes when you go from having no services to having electricity. The definition, the function of those things, the way you live your life completely changes with the arrival of electricity. Now, this came in, and it was available to all people, but it required something. Number one, they had to believe that the Rural Electric Administration had the ability to follow through on what they promised. They had to enter into an agreement with this company to receive the power. They had to take steps to get involved, but then they also had to not just sign up, not just hook up, they had to change their life so they started relying upon electricity as opposed to just having the hook up but never using it. We're going to continue with our gas lamps. We're going to continue with our scrub boards. I know we have electricity, but it's just kind of there just in case. No, they had to switch their lives and actually start relying upon the arrival of electricity that was now theirs. You see, all were invited to receive this power. And to all who received it, it would completely change every aspect of their lives. But they had to repent of their kerosene lamps. And they had to repent of their ice boxes and of their scrub boards and turn to what was now available. Some refused. Some didn't trust the company. Some thought the company's ask was too high. It's going to cost me too much. I'm going to have to give up too much. Some thought, you know what, I like my life. I don't want to change. Change is hard. And not everybody accepted the offer. But to those who did turn, to those who did experience all that this new offer had to give them, their lives were completely changed and they wished and longed for others to experience it as well. You see, when people allow God to enter into their heart and their lives, when they allow the kingdom of God to reign in that part of their lives where, where before it didn't exist because they hadn't invited it in, when they allow that to happen through the work of Jesus Christ, a change occurs. Not only a change in, in, in things like, like rules and behaviors. That's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about scripture says that there is a change to the very core of the being. Their very nature changes. The Bible tells us that we cease to be orphans and we become children of God. That we go from being, from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. To being forgiven. To being free from all condemnation. For anything that may have done in the past. Any of the shame and the guilt. We are free from all of that. That we become a new creation with a new life, with a new power, with a new purpose, and a new confidence that we can live within. But there's another change that takes place that the Bible tells us, is that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and allow his kingdom to rule in our hearts and our lives, it says we become a citizen of the very kingdom of which he's talking about. And that while our citizenship is in heaven with God, we still live here. That is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It says, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Have you ever thought of yourself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? 
That may not be a, a phrase that you, you've thought of before. What is an ambassador anyways? Well, an ambassador is a person who represents their home country while working and living in a different country to which they've been appointed. So if you were a Canadian citizen appointed to be an ambassador in Sweden, you live in Sweden, but you promote and you uphold the interests of Canada while you are there. See, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are an ambassador with a mission. You are on assignment from the king while you are in this place. You have a responsibility to represent Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, in the country to which you've been appointed, into the area in which you live. And that responsibility is to continue his appeal. And what is his appeal? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, which is just another way of saying be reconciled to God, be made right with God, allow God's kingdom to reign in your life. And this is why we start 2019 with this message. Because before we look ahead to anything to do with our mission or our vision or our values, before we get to that, we need to understand that our ultimate goal, our ultimate purpose as a church is not to build and promote West Meadows. That is critical that we do that and that we have everyone point in the same direction, pat in the same direction, but that is a means to an end. And that end is that we are seeking to serve and to promote the kingdom of God. And so are you ready for the kingdom? We're getting better. One more. So, so are you ready for the kingdom? Because the good news of Jesus Christ is that the kingdom of God has come near. And that access is available to all people who would allow him to reign in their lives.